And if you would turn in your copy of the scriptures to Mark chapter 10, verse 46, which was read earlier this morning. As we look at this scripture, Jesus is almost to the end of two things. His journey to Jerusalem will be completed in just a few days. His earthly life ends a week after arriving in Jerusalem. Jesus knows this full well, and as you would expect, He is laser-focused on that end. The schedule of last things for Christ is set, and it is moving quickly. But even in the intensity of this greatest of purposes, it cannot cause Him, the Creator of the universe, the Savior of the world, to overlook someone the world has erased. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we plead with you this morning as this man begs you and pleads with you. We, we plead with you, Father, to please give us your Holy Spirit's understanding of these passages. For we cannot understand it. They're spiritually discerned and, and our flesh, our mortal mind will not grasp the truth. It may look good. It may sound impressive. It, it may warm our hearts. But we want more, Lord. We want to know you. We want to see you. And we know that only your spirit can do that. Uh, I pray that you would help me to preach, uh, that you would overcome my weaknesses, and Lord, that you would work in a mighty way in us through your word this morning. Amen. What can a blind man, what can a blind man actually see? Well, the first verse we look at this morning, verse 46, sets up the scene that we're going to look at completely. It tells us the place, it tells us the people, and it tells us the problem in the very first verse. Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. The place, the vicinity, or the edge of Jericho. Now if you read Luke's account of this story in Luke 18, it says, as he, or Jesus, was coming near Jericho. Coming near Jericho. But in Mark and Matthew, it is written, as he went out. Now this might seem irrelevant, or it might seem like a minor detail to some of you. But not to all of you. Uh, we believe that the Scriptures are inerrant. And we believe the Scriptures never contradict each other. But occasionally these kinds of readings come up. So it's good to look inside of them a little bit. So what is it? Are they coming in or are they going out of Jericho? Well, with what most of us know about first century Middle Eastern history and and geography, uh, we would conclude, well, it can't be both. Well, at the time of Christ, there were actually two sites that were called Jericho. One was the collapsed and ancient ruins of the city that had crumbled. Do you remember when it crumbled? Yeah, back when we were studying The entry into the promised land. It crumbled under the mighty hand of God when Joshua and the children of Israel began to enter and conquer this city and the rest of the land. It was utterly destroyed. But about a mile from the ancient Jericho ruins was the beautiful palace and the fortress city of Jericho. It was further constructed by Herod the Great in 31 B.C. This Jericho was a very prominent and beautiful oasis city. Lane writes of it, 
that it was built by Herod as the site for his magnificent winter palace. Jericho was renowned for its singular beauty and fertility. So while the disciples were leaving the ruins of the historic Jericho, they could simultaneously have been in entering into the modern Jericho or vice versa. It depended upon the perspective of the one that was writing. But it is no contradiction. This Jericho of Jesus' day was located about 15 miles to the northeast of the city of Jerusalem. Because of its proximity, it was a common meeting place for Jews as they journeyed up to Jerusalem. But it was not an easy hike. From Jericho, it's about 900 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is almost 2,500 feet above sea level. So in that 15 miles, those who were traveling, the pilgrims who were going to Jerusalem, would rise 3,400 feet in elevation to get to the holy city. Nevertheless, this roadway from Jericho to Jerusalem is teeming with travelers. This made it an ideal location. Made it an ideal location for selling or, as we see this morning, for begging. Begging from people on their way to or from their worship of God. Then we look at the people. Look at that scripture with me. Verse 46. Who do we find at this spot on the road at this precise moment in time? What does Mark tell us? First of all, he. That's Jesus. He is there. His disciples. Now that can include at least the twelve. But it may describe a larger number of others who were faithfully following Jesus wherever he went. If you remember back in Luke 9, Jesus sends out his 12 disciples on a mission. But later, he also sends out 70 of his followers on a similar mission in the next chapter of Luke chapter 10. So this may have been the 12, but it may have included far more of his disciples. And then it tells us thirdly that there is a great multitude I would love to be able to see from a drone picture the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. How full it must have been at this time. It is teeming with several thousand. They're streaming up to this heavily traveled ancient road to arrive in the city. Not only are there thousands who are following Jesus. He constantly had a multitude around him that numbered well into the thousands. But the coming Passover is causing tens of thousands to pour into the city. I've read estimates that perhaps as many as 200,000 people would come into the city of Jerusalem. It would swell to bursting. It was the busiest time of the year on this well-traveled road. And fourthly, we have a man. The Gospel of Matthew records two blind men in this story, while Mark and Luke mention one. Mention one. And this is likely because this Bartimaeus was the more prominent and perhaps responsive of the two. But I'll give another possible reason at the very end of the message that I thought is really, really important. Mark describes four things about this man and get what he says about this man. First of all, what do we see? His name is Bartimaeus. And he is the son of Timaeus. Now this tells us something, not only about this man, but also about Mark, the author of this gospel. Mark writes his gospel with the target audience to communicate to Roman readers, especially Gentiles. For example, Mark uses Latin expressions instead of Greek. He references time according to the Roman system rather than the Jewish. And he carefully explained certain Jewish customs throughout his gospel to his uninformed Gentile readers. So that's who Mark is writing to. 
Now, in fact, this little bit of the, the passage, explain, this explanation of the name of this man who is sitting by the road is an example of this. It may also seem like an unimportant detail, but look at what Mark writes. Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. A Jewish reader would look at that and they would say, yeah, we know. That's what it says, Bartimaeus. It means son of Timaeus. This little explanation from Mark would seem silly to the Jew. But to those who received the gospel of Mark, it was an important piece to understand who this man was. He is the son of Timaeus. He is speaking to a Roman and Gentile audience. And then we have, fourthly, the problem. And some of you, I understand, would say, that's not a problem, it's an opportunity. But this problem is stated, actually, even before the mention of the man's name. What is it? He is blind. Why is that a problem? Well, it's a tragedy of far greater proportion than the days of Christ than we can even imagine. First of all, a blind person in the first century would have been unable, unable to read by any means. Braille would not be invented for almost 2,000 years. Many other daily skills, typical skills, would never be attained by the blind at the time of Christ. There is no mention of first century schools to train or equip the visually impaired. There were no computers or specialized tools that have been de developed to help assist those who cannot see. There was essentially no employment opportunity for the blind. Consequently, they were desperately poor and they relied on begging for survival. And lastly, to add insult to an already very difficult life, we read a politically charged comment in John's Gospel. This comment is made not by a typical system, a citizen, but this is made by Jesus' disciples themselves. John chapter 9, verse 2. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Is that not a loaded statement or a loaded question? So if you were blind... It was assumed it was caused by sin in your life. Either your own sin that, you got, that got you into this hardship, or perhaps the sin of, a sin of your parents. A third observation is that this man sat by the road. Another small detail. But it emphasizes that this man is far different than the multitude. The thousands of thousands of people on the road are walking either following Jesus into Jerusalem or they are heading there for the Passover themselves. Bartimaeus, he simply sits. He sits as he has for years, perhaps decades, while the rest of the world passes him by. And fourthly, what is he doing? Not only sitting, but he is begging. Strong's defines it as to ask repeatedly he is not offering anything for sale that he was able to make or produce you will not receive anything from this poor man because he has nothing to give in return his life is filled with constantly repeatedly begging people to please give him money or food or whatever will help him survive that is the case for this man now perhaps Perhaps it's the electricity of the crowd or the conversations he was overhearing. Even the unusual teaching perhaps he could pick up coming from this mass of people moving by. But something alerted 
Bartimaeus that something very unusual was going on around him that day. But we read, but when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he knew. And he knew Jesus. Look at verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus is making quite a scene. To cry out is the word kratzo. Then it means to shout with a loud voice or to scream. Though he cannot see the sights around him, he sees Jesus in a way that very few people on extremely rare occasions had ever seen Jesus throughout his ministry. And here's the person the blind man saw. Jesus. Jesus. Yes, that is his given name. It was told to Mary by the angel Gabriel before he was born. But Bartimaeus understands the depth in that title. Jesus means Yahweh saves. Bartimaeus recognized that he was in the close proximity to the Savior. And he says, Jesus, Son of David. Son of David recognizes Jesus as the promised Messiah. The prophet Nathan declared to David the king, saying, Since the time commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you, tells you, David, that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the Son of Man. Second Samuel chapter 7. Isaiah prophesied, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Jeremiah proclaimed, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. Branch is essentially the Messiah of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In fact, the very first verse in the New Testament states this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. To this exalted one, Bartimaeus pleads, but not for money this time. What does he scream? He screams, have mercy on me. It's the word racham. And it literally translates to this very precious, amazing, deep word. It means love from the womb. And this assembly has a pretty good idea of what that is. It, it, it's, it's like a mother's deep, tender love for her helpless child. As one writer describes, God loves his people with a deep compassion and love that is almost beyond description, end quote. And I believe it is beyond description. Yet we try to capture and communicate what we cannot fully describe. Racham, the mercy of Christ, is greater than we can imagine. And it's far more than we can put into words. But it is what this desperate blind beggar begged for. It was a cry in faith for the fulfillment of what only God can do. The Lord God Yahweh had promised through Isaiah, Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, 
and break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted His people and will have mercy on His afflicted. Later, Isaiah writes, With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Bartimaeus, what is he? He echoes. He echoes the cries of David, the songs that David wrote to God. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. And again in Psalm 86, bow down your ear, O Lord, and hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. And this cry of Bartimaeus was heard over and over again from the hopeless hearts of the multitude who desperately came to Jesus. Matthew 15, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Or the man with the son. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And what about the group of ten lepers? Then as he entered a certain village, there met Jesus ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. Then they lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Cry that out in your prayer. It is the pattern of many that have gone out before us. Bartimaeus' cry, which the crowd despised, also displayed the sharp, distinct difference between those who were proud and self-confident toward Jesus and those who came broken and needy to Him. That contrast was never more clear than in the story Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18. Hear this parable. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, said Jesus, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Was the crowd impressed with Bartimaeus' unique spiritual insight? Did they sense any of this in the screaming beggar? Not at all. Then many warned him to be quiet. Question, who can see a blind man? What did the disciples and multitudes see and hear? They saw a pest. They saw a nuisance. They saw a screaming inconvenience. I can picture, let's get on down the road, honey, in case this obnoxious street caller gets out of hand. 
Let's get out of this place. Did anyone, did anyone stop to listen to him? That's a good question. Lest we feel pretty smug in criticizing the disciples and the crowd. Haven't you heard guys like this before? What did you do? Made some of us feel awkward, didn't it? You may have been disgusted. You may have wondered, well, what's that fellow done or failed to do that left him in this despicable condition? Or you may have wanted to help, but you didn't know where to start. And if you pay attention to him, will you become the focus of his screaming? Or will you embarrass yourself because you didn't just ignore him and walk on like the rest, and now you are his captive audience? What did you do? Just some questions. I'm not recommending answers or responses. Just wondering if we have ever seen someone even remotely similar to Bartimaeus while we were in the crowd minding our own business on the route to our favorite store at the mall or walking to a restaurant downtown or heading to an important celebration for the holidays or walking from Jericho to Jerusalem, busily following Jesus. The crowd, even the disciples, they don't give. They don't listen. They don't care. They strongly rebuke Him. And it's more like, shut up, beggar. But He cried out all the more. The King James says, a great deal. Son of David, have mercy on me. Although He had no sight at all, this poor beggar was looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He would not be silenced. This was the opportunity of his lifetime. The one he believed to be the Messiah was somewhere within the sound of his voice. And the Messiah could utterly transform him. That's what the Messiah does, isn't it? Isaiah prophesied, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And David, Dave read this this morning. And this is what Jesus did. You see, it was no secret throughout the land of Judah. Luke records that in that hour, that hour, 60 minutes, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. On many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And then Jesus told John's disciples, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind received their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. If things were ever going to change for Bartimaeus, now is his one opportunity, and Jesus is his only hope. Uh, earlier, I asked, did anyone stop to listen? Verse 49. So Jesus stood still, and he commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. So Jesus stood still. He stood still. The gospel priority. 
Some of your translations say Jesus stopped. And the meaning is the same. But to describe it as Jesus stood still stuns me. You see, he is on a rescue mission of the most important significance in the history of mankind. Every life depends upon what he is going to do. This universe-changing journey is put on hold. The pause button is hit on the turning point of history. Why? Why? Because Jesus heard a humble, needy man cry out to him. A beggar, a blind man, a nobody in the eyes of the world. But Jesus did not miss this man. Jesus has never missed a man or a woman who cried out to him in faith. And Jesus never will miss a man who humbly cries out to him in faith. You see, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Psalm 34 says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and he, His ear toward their cry. It is certain Jesus has promised, if you will cry out to Him, He will hear. But Jesus is not about to waste this teaching moment either. He instructs you disciples, you guys tell Him to come. Now some of you, you know who you are. The ones who were warning him to shut up. Tell him the son of David wants him to come. Then they called the blind man saying to him, Be of good cheer. Rise. Get up. He is calling you. Now, as the disciples approached the yelling blind beggar man, we have no idea whether they went embarrassingly or if they were repentant Or they humbly paid him greater respect. We don't know. But these things happen. And there's a similar turn of perspective that happened several years ago. In this story told by a fellow by the name of Doug Nichols. And recorded by Tim Chalice. Some of you have heard this I'm sure. It was a long time ago in the summer of 66. That Doug was working for Operation Mobilization. And was stationed in London during their big annual conference. He was assigned to the cleanup crew. One night around 12.30 a.m., he was sweeping the steps at the conference center when an old gentleman approached him and asked if this was where the conference was being held. Doug said that it was, but that just about everyone had already gone to bed. This man was dressed very simply and had just a small bag with him. He said that he was attending the conference. Doug replied that he would try to find him a place to sleep and led him to a room where about 50 people were bunked down on the floor. The older gentleman had nothing to sleep on, so Doug laid down some padding and a blanket and offered a towel for a pillow. The man said that would be just fine and that he appreciated it very much. Doug asked the man if he had been able to eat dinner. It turns out that he hadn't eaten since he'd been traveling all day. Doug took him to the dining room, but it was locked. He soon jimmied the lock and found some cornflakes and milk and bread and jam. As the man ate, the two began to talk. The man said that he and his wife had been working in Switzerland for several years where he had a small ministry that served hippies and travelers. He spoke about his work and spoke about some of the people he had seen turn to Christ. And when he finished eating, both of the men turned in for the night. Doug woke up the next morning only to find out that he was in big trouble. The conference leaders came to him and said, 
Don't you know who it was that you put on the floor last night? That's Francis Schaeffer. He's the speaker for this conference. We had a whole room set aside for him. Doug had no idea that he was sleeping on the floor next to a celebrity. That he had told a man to sleep on the floor who had a profoundly important ministry. He had no idea that this man has helped shape the Christian church of that day and really the church of our day. And Schaefer never let on. In humility, he had accepted his lot and been grateful for it. You know, too often we don't see what Jesus sees. In his book of Hebrews, chapter 13, 1 through 3, God tells us, love, or let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some of you have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you are yourselves are in the body also. See, Jesus never misses the heart of a stranger or blind man or beggar or the prisoner or the prostitute or the tax collector or the farmer or the homemaker. He doesn't miss the heart of the engineer or the student or the waitress or the child or the parent. He hears their cry. He hears your cry. And he gives a specific and personal statement. He is calling you as he called Bartimaeus. This invitation from Jesus relayed by the disciples was the greatest news this man had ever heard. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Believing is seeing. Now not typically we would say seeing is believing. No, believing is seeing. Bartimaeus responds in faith. His faith is demonstrated by the fact that Bartimaeus literally jumps into action. In the New American Standard, it says, throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. It was like a miniature human explosion. Perhaps one of the disciples led him to Jesus, or maybe he had been able to locate Jesus by the sound of his voice. But we know Bartimaeus is on a mission to get to the Messiah as fast as he can. Brothers and sisters, this is precisely how each of us should respond to the call of Jesus. Throw aside whatever hinders you. Jump up and get there. He is calling. He is speaking. And then we see his request in faith. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Rabbi means far more than professor or teacher, states one commentator. It has an intense personal significance and is actually a confession of faith. You know who else used it? Mary Magdalene. When she encountered the Lord Jesus just after he had risen from the dead. Rabboni. This is another strategic teaching moment. Jesus maximizes everything. It contains a very stark contrast. And it contrasts something that took place just a few days earlier before Jesus encountered Bartimaeus. Brad taught about this last week. Remember the, the ambitions, the selfish ambition, the godly ambition. Mark 10, 35. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. 
And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Think about that encounter. Think about the encounter with Bartimaeus. What was the one clear similarity between those two conversations? Jesus responded with the same question to both of them. What do you want me to do for you? But what were the differences? The disciples came to Jesus. Jesus called Bartimaeus. The disciples spoke first. Jesus spoke first. The disciples asked for opportunities of power and authority. But Bartimaeus cried for mercy and simply asked for sight. The disciples had no idea what they were asking for. And Bartimaeus knew exactly what he was pleading for. It reminds me of the moment when a despised woman of the streets entered the house of Simon the Pharisee. Christ had been invited there for a meal. She found Jesus and in an outpouring of grateful worship and love in Luke chapter 7. Please turn there. Luke 7 verse 38. It tells us she stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Moments later, Jesus turns and rebukes Simon and his dinner guests with a very important truth. Luke 7, beginning with verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears, and she has wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Who is the example to follow as a host? Simon, the Pharisee, or the woman of the streets, the prostitute, former prostitute? Who is the example that Jesus says to follow? Simon, look at this woman. Who is the example to follow as a disciple? James and John and their selfish ambition? Or Bartimaeus? The final verse, then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. It has healed you. It's made you whole. The results from faith or what is called sozo, wholeness, healing. Sozo is one of the most powerful, significant words associated with the work of Jesus. It means to heal, to preserve, to save, to deliver. And while it can have all those different meanings, it is used more than 18 times in the New Testament for salvation, to describe salvation. 
Luke in 7.50, chapter 7, verse 50, said to the woman, the former prostitute woman that we just saw compared to Simon, your faith has saved you. So so, go in peace. In Mark 5.33, but the woman, and this time it was the woman who had suffered from internal bleeding for 12 years with no relief, that woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you so-so, has made you well. It has made you saved. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now the second result of Bartimaeus' faith is that he began to follow in discipleship. We read here, Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Bartimaeus belonged to Christ Jesus now. And if you have confessed Christ as Savior and repented of sin, you belong to Him now. And if you are not following in discipleship, repent. Follow Him. Seek Him. You must have Him if you are His disciple. Follow Him as this man did, this Bartimaeus. Now I want to ask, in closing, do we see Jesus, do we see Jesus like Bartimaeus did? Though never having seen him, he cried out on that road, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now the disciples, they were really hit and miss. They were mainly miss during the lifetime of Christ. But John did. John the Baptist, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Paul did. For the message of the cross, he writes in 1 Corinthians, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. That cross is the power of God. Jairus did. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and she will live. Even the legion of demons in the man at Gadaria, in Mark chapter 5, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Do you see Jesus? Do we see Jesus like Bartimaeus saw him? Secondly, do we see Bartimaeus's as Jesus saw him. Psalm 22, written about God looking upon his son, but a further application, for God has not despised, or he has not despised, nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him, but when he cried to him, he heard. Please turn with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 1, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with the gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, You stand there. Or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves 
and become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world, the Bartimaeuses of this world, to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Yes, they do. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Jeremiah declared, Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, who have ears and hear not. Pray. Two items I'd like for you to take from these scriptures and pray. Pray for eyes of faith to see Jesus as Bartimaeus did. With zeal, with trust, with total dependence, with humility, with the great glory of who he is. Jesus, well, that you would see him as Bartimaeus, John, Paul, Jairus, and many more who were given eyes to see. You see, there is a great danger, especially in this day in which we live. And in this culture in which we live. Jesus told the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Because you say I am rich. Have become wealthy. And have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. That you may be rich. And white garments that you may be clothed. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. We will not see unless we are desperately at the feet of Christ. We may assume, we may do good deeds that will lavish praise or accomplish something in the flesh. We will not see as Jesus did unless we pursue him. And then pray for eyes of mercy to see Bartimaeus as Jesus did. With compassion and patience. To stop and listen. I'm going to read to you two verses from Philippians. Which I'm asking God to change me with this year. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for your, his own interests. But also for the interests of the others. That was the furthest thing from the minds of the disciples. And the multitudes. As they crept up to worship God in Jerusalem. Now this isn't just to apply to loud, visually impaired, destitute people that you may see along the street. Stop and listen and seek what you can do for your wife, husbands, for your sons, for your daughters, for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Stop and listen and seek what you can do to help your co-workers. It opens doors to Christ's neighbors, all those whom God determines to bring into your life, whoever you may be. And may it be said of us, as Jesus said to his disciples, Luke 10, verse 23, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. May that be what they say of us. The last comment I give about Bartimaeus, I think it's really encouraging. It is suggested that Mark may have identified Bartimaeus by name 
because he went on to become a faithful and very active part of the early church in Jerusalem. He is the only person Jesus healed whose name is given. This story would then also give a beautiful autobiography sketch of a man that Mark's readers would have known and appreciated. That's a little history. Not anything I can tell you without doubt, but it seems like historically it's true. We have had a, a deep morning this morning. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we trust that by your providence, the story of Bartimaeus was designed for us this day. Lord, we have heard of many that are hurting, that are in need. Lord, use us. May we be like Christ. What a, what a thing to say. It's almost blasphemous, Father. But you tell us to. You tell us to walk as you walk. You tell us to that we will be conformed to the image of your Son. Lord, please do that. Show us, give us eyes to see you. And Lord, give us your eyes to see those in this world around us. You are King forever. You are worthy. We love you. Thank you that you have saved us. In your name, amen.